0: How many of you as parents, um, well, first of all, how many parents do we have in the room? Just wave at me. Okay, perfect. That's great. How many of you as parents want good things for your kids? It's the same as in the first service. There are fewer hands for that question. And I, I am confused about that, I just have to admit. Remember, some of your kids are sitting beside you. How many parents in the room want good things for their kids? Okay, that's, that's good. No, I, I, I know you do. And the fact that you want good things for your kids, that I do as well, it's not a coincidence. It's not like a fluke that that's the case, that all of us want that. It's because God, the heavenly Father, has placed that desire inside of us. A little piece of his heart is on the inside of every parent. And we don't always communicate and represent that well, do we? Some of us have had fathers and parents, but fathers in particular, who have done a great job of representing the heart of God. An imperfect job, but a great job. Some of us have experienced parents and fathers who have, profoundly misrepresented the heart of God. But that does not change what God's heart is towards each one of us. He is good, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for us. We're going to watch uh, another short video in a moment, and it communicates just how significant, just how important that parents, but particularly fathers, are in the role of our children's lives. Let's watch this video together. Dad, Dad, hey Dad. I want to be rich and good looking. I want to be rich and good looking. I'll need you to challenge me. i need you to challenge me to be rich in good works. To be rich in good works. I'll be focused on building my career at all costs. I'll need you to show me how to put my family ahead of work. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I need you to teach me to honor God. i need you to teach me to honor God with my time and resources. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I wanna avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth. And love. In love. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll want to treat girls how the world tells me to. I'll need you to show me how to honor them with all my actions. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me to Christ when no one else will. <laughs> Fathers matter. Um our role in the lives of our children matter. Maybe when you were watching that video, maybe it it touched your heart and stirred you to just take more seriously the role you have as a dad. Or maybe as you watched that, you found yourself feeling some very different emotions and, and wishing that you had had a father, that you have a father that did that for you. Here's the thing. God is even the father to the fatherless. Even when we have fathers in our lives who have profoundly misrepresented God, God is still able to be a father to us. And that is why the body of Christ, the family of God, is so important. Because in this family, there are many fathers. And there are many people who have the opportunity to communicate the heart of God to us. And God wants to do that for you today through other relationships in your life. We do want to help our children make great choices. And God does as well, because we're his children. And the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning reveals just how much God wants us to experience good, to experience life, and to experience blessing. Would you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30? We're going to read from verses 15 to 20. It says this, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering in to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter into and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Can you say, choose life? life. That you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Do you hear the heart of God in there? He wants us to experience life, good, and blessing. And he's saying that he does not want us to experience death evil, and cursing. That's what God is saying in these verses. Now, why does something that Moses said to the children of Israel thousands of years ago matter to us? I'm glad you asked. You you were thinking that. I know some of you were. Um, We're going to take a look at that this morning. The first thing I want to point out to you is I mean, that that passage of Scripture is packed with many powerful words and phrases, but the one that stands out to me, at least, is choose life. God created us with the opportunity to choose. That's one of the things God gave to us. He created us in His image, and since God can make choices, we can make choices. Are you thankful you can make choices this morning? And ever since God created us in the garden, ever since God created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, there has been a war over what we will choose. You know, when God first created Adam and Eve, he created all of that garden, all of the Garden of Eden for them to enjoy. But he made one interesting statement. He said, Adam and Eve, you can enjoy everything in this garden, but there is one tree that you are not to eat from. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by putting that tree in the garden, God was giving them a choice. He was giving them an opportunity to decide would they listen to Him? Would they trust Him? Would they let him define what was good and evil and right and wrong, what was best for them? Or would they take matters into their own hands? Would they decide, based on what they could see, what they could think, what they could feel, what they could understand, would they decide for themselves what was best for them? And they made a choice, didn't they? They had to help making that choice, though. Satan, whose name means accuser, made an accusation against God. He entered into that paradise, and he said to Adam and Eve as they looked at that tree, you know, you can't trust God. I'm paraphrasing. You can't trust God. He's actually withholding from you. He doesn't want you to eat from this tree. He doesn't want you to experience The blessing of eating from this tree because he is withholding something good from you. In fact, if you really want to know Adam and Eve, this is the best tree in the garden. Don't ask me how I know that. But it is the best tree in the garden. And you you really want to have some of this fruit because when you eat it, I know God said you'd die and everything, but that's not the case. God's just threatening you so that you won't touch his favorite tree because it's the best one, like I said earlier, and you'll become like God if you eat from it. And this was just all too much for them, right? And they made a decision that they were going to reject God and reject his right to decide for them what was good, what was evil, what was right, and what was wrong, and they were going to make the decision for themselves. And here we are today in a broken world because of one Choice. Everybody say one choice. Choices are powerful. Choices are powerful things. The power of one choice can bring life or bring death into our lives. Why does God give us this ability to choose? I mean, why would He do that? Well, here's the thing God didn't create us to be robots, He did not create us to be His slaves that just did his bidding all day long and had no ability to choose for themselves whether they would love God, whether they would follow him. Just like us as parents. I mean, I trust none of you had your children so that you could have slaves in your home, right? <laughs> that would do, Maybe some of the kids are wondering, but that is not why your parents had you. <laughs> and, and with God too, he created us out of his love and he wants us to be able to choose to love him and re- in return. In uh, verse 19, it says this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. This choice that we get to make is so important that God says, I'm going to let heaven and earth be the witnesses of your choice. They are going to observe what you choose, whether you choose life or you choose death. They will be the witnesses to this choice. And then he says that he wants us to choose life. You know, (laughs) if God did not want you and I to experience life, he would have not said anything. He wouldn't have told us about the consequences. and He wouldn't have told us about the opportunity to choose life. He would have just said, well, go for it. Figure it out on your own. I'll let you stick the fork into the light socket and just find out for yourself what's good and what isn't. <laughs> but God is a loving Father. And just like you would not do that, God doesn't do that either. He doesn't sit on the sideline and watch us make Bad choices without letting us know that they're not good for us. He wants us to know because he wants us to experience life. God is not threatening his people in this passage with death and curses if they disobey him. He's telling them what will result from their choices. Much like you might say to your child, take your umbrella with you so you don't get wet. Put on sunscreen, like I should have done a few days ago, so you don't get burned. Right? He's just letting them know what the result of their decisions will be ahead of time so that they can make the best one. And that is what you and I do as parents as well. So why does God want us to choose life? In verse 19, it says that God wants us to choose life so that you and your offspring may live. This is a big deal. We like to think that our choices only affect us. Because the idea that other people will be affected by our choices is kind of heavy, isn't it? It's kind of a big deal. It turns our choices into a big responsibility and we tend not to like that. But here's what God says. I want you to choose life because not only will it matter for you, and not only do I love you, but it will matter for your offspring. It will matter for your natural children, and it will matter for all those your life impacts and influences. Our choices matter. God wants us to choose life because he loves us, and he loves those our lives impact. So how do we choose life? I'm glad you asked. That's what I'm getting to next. You're so quick. Um, this is what it says in verse 19. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God. It's the phrase I want you to notice. Obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. The first word that I want you and I to pay attention to here is the word love we choose life by choosing to love God with all of our hearts. See, choosing life does not begin with following rules. Choosing life does not begin with obeying commands. Choosing life begins with knowing you're loved by God and therefore loving him in return. In other words, The basis, the foundation of choosing life is a relationship with God. That's what he wants for you and I to experience is a relationship with him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love him. And the reason we love him is because he first loved us. That's what 1 John 4 says. We love him because he first loved us. That's where choosing life begins. Because if you don't believe that someone loves you, are you going to listen to them? I don't think so. You might, in fact, run in the opposite direction. You're going to reject them. You're going to avoid them. You're not going to listen to them. But when you and I know and understand that God loves us, it changes everything. And until we find that out, we will have a very hard time listening to his voice. In the New Testament, we discover that all of the Old Testament, including this passage, is pointing us towards one thing, and that is our opportunity to choose life by choosing Jesus. Amen. He is called the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the The Bible tells us that we find eternal life in Jesus. God wasn't just interested in them experiencing a good life here and now. He was trying to get his people prepared for when they would be able to choose eternal life. Life found in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible calls us to make a decision about Jesus, whether or not we will receive him. He said to the Pharisees one day, the religious leaders, the people, the Bible scholars of the time. You search the scriptures. You, you know, you memorize them. They would memorize books of the Bible in order to become Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. He says, you memorize and you search the scriptures because you think in them you will find life. But you don't come to me that you may receive life. See, true life is found in Jesus, and the choice we have before us in this time is whether or not we will choose Jesus. Choosing Jesus means choosing life. When we make a choice to choose Jesus, we are answering the accusation of the enemy in the garden. Remember what the enemy said? God doesn't love you you can't trust him. You're better off rejecting his authority, going your own way, doing your own thing, doing what's best for you. And when we make a choice to receive Christ, when we make a choice to place our faith in him as our Lord and Savior, this is what we are saying. I choose to reject the lies of the enemy. I choose to align myself with God. I choose to believe that God loves me and that he wants what's best for me, and that he has sent his son to save me, I surrender my life to him. I will make him Lord. That's what Lord means. It means that I have made a choice not to live for myself, but to surrender all that I am into the hands of the Son of God. That's what it means to make Jesus Lord. That's what we have the opportunity to do. Receiving Jesus is the beginning of a new relationship with God, and it is the beginning of choosing life, but it does not end there. That's not the end of choosing life. It is just the door. Remember, Jesus said, I am the door. He came to give us life and life more abundantly, and he is the door into that life. We choose Jesus. We walk through the door, but God has life on the other side of the door as well. How do we choose life? Let's look at this again. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God. Now listen to the next phrase. Obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. The second word that I want you to see here is the word trust. We need to choose. If we're going to choose life, we need to choose to trust God completely. Can you say trust God completely? You know, as a father, one of the things that I want for my kids more than anything else is they will trust me. Is that what you want for your kids as well? You know, we have the benefit of many more years on this planet than they do. We've experienced more things. We understand more things. We don't understand everything, And we are flawed and imperfect, and we make mistakes. And all the parents said, amen. It's true, but we have an advantage. We can see some things they can't see. And so what I want for my kids is that, especially when I tell them I want them to do something they don't understand, that they would trust me. That's where trust begins. See, if you agree, well, What's the choice? You already made up your own mind, right? You think you understand, you think you know, so you're, not, you're just trusting your own judgment. It's in those moments when we don't understand, when we don't see, that we find out if we trust. It, this really shouldn't surprise us when it comes to God. After all, he is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Anybody else in the room know everything? All right. Thank you for your honesty. Yes, we do not know everything. So it shouldn't surprise us when we come up against something that God says we should or shouldn't do, and we're like, this doesn't make sense to me. It looks good to me, right? Like that fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looks good to me. Looks like it could make me wise. It looks like it's tasty for food right? We stand before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every single day, multiple times a day. God says, this is what I want you to do because it will lead to life. And we stand and look at the fruit and we're like, oh God, it looks good to me, but we have to learn to trust because God sees things we don't see. He knows things we don't know and he loves you more than you love yourself. He loves me more than I love myself. And so God says, will you trust me? Every temptation to disobey God is first a temptation not to trust him. Every temptation to disobey God is first a temptation not to trust him. That's what the enemy was doing with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was undermining their ability to trust God. When I know what God says and don't do it, it's because in that moment concerning that thing, that choice, I trust my judgment more than his. That's the bottom line. If we're going to be honest about it, we're going to look in the mirror and say, that's what, it, that's what this amounts to. I trust my judgment more than I do God's in that moment. So what is the evidence that we can trust God? I mean, the children of Israel, they had God delivering them from Egypt. They had God providing for them as they went through the desert. so Their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. He provided food for them. He protected them from their enemies. They had evidence that God loved them and was faithful and could be trusted. What's our evidence that God can be trusted? The evidence that God can be trusted is found in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to consider this. While you were deep in your sin and rebellion, while I was up to my neck in the muddy waters of sin, God sent his son to rescue me. Not because I could add anything to his life, not because he needed me. God doesn't need any of us. That's what it means to be God. (laughs) He is complete and whole and perfect without you. Sorry to break your bubble, you know. But God doesn't need us. Why did he send his son? He sent his son because he loves us. Not for what was in it for him, not because he needed to save us, but because we needed saving. And so he sent his son. He sent his son to live, to die, and to rise again from the dead so that we could be restored to relationship with him. So that all of that sin could be washed away and we could have a brand new relationship with God. That's why God sent his son. And in doing so, he demonstrated that he can be trusted. If God would do that for you, can you and I not trust him with lesser things? If we can trust him with our eternity, can't we trust him with today? I think so. That the cross reveals that God loves you enough to want to save you. He is wise enough to be able to save you, to know how to save you, I should say, and he is powerful enough to be able to save you and me. And if God can do that, we can safely surrender our lives into his hands, not only make Jesus Lord in a moment, but choose to let him be Lord day to day. I was at Canada's Wonderland uh, about a week ago with uh, some of the Koinonia Christian Academy gang, and we had a good time. Anybody in the room that, that was on that trip, wave at me. Yeah, there's a few of us. Some of the parents like, yeah, I remember that day. It was wet. That's what I remember. It was, it was, it was wet. It was a little bit cold, but the good, the benefit is you get to like go on the biggest rides like this over and over and over again if you so choose. So, anyway, so I I went onto the Yukon Striker because that's the newest ride, and and uh, I figured it was probably the most fantastic ride because it was the newest. So you know, because it was raining, I managed to get onto the front row in like ten minutes. And so I'm, I'm on the front row and I'm like, oh, I'm on the Yukon Striker. This is brand new ride, look at me. As we're going up, I'm like, this is a long way. <laughs> I began reconsidering my life choices in that moment. I'm like, I did not need to do this. I mean, my brother wasn't here to egg me on. It was just my own stupidity and here I am going up and up and up, 245 feet, and I'm on the front row, and one of the great things about this ride is that you sit there at the top, and they lean you over it, and you look straight down because it's a 90-degree drop, and so I'm like, oh, Jesus, Um, and then all of a sudden. Click, <laughs> and I'm like, oh. and I have to admit, during those three seconds of dropping at 130 kilometers an hour straight into the earth, <laughs> I did close my eyes. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit embarrassed about that. Here's the thing, though: while I was on that ride, I am telling you, I clung to the Yukon Striker like nobody has clung to anything. It was my life and the length of my days. And here's the thing. Even as Christians, sometimes we cling to other things more than God. Even though they can't give us life, even though they did not create us, even though they are not love at its core, because God is love. doesn't feel love for you. He is love. Why not cling to him? Why not hold fast to him? Because he truly is our life and the length of our days. I have some bad news for you and some good news. I'm going to tell you the bad news first because that's the way I like to do it. So, Here goes, the bad news is this, you are incapable of choosing life. You're like, "Ah, come again? No, you heard me, you are incapable of choosing life. I have spent the last 25 minutes wasting your time, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You and I are incapable of choosing life in our own strength. The children of Israel were, they were, no, this one isn't on, is it? (laughs) Um, the children of Israel were, were like a, a pilot project, a test group to demonstrate to them and to the entire universe that trusting God, choosing life, loving him with all of our heart, obeying his voice and clinging to him is not possible in our own strength. And why is that? It's because of the problem with the human heart. See, the moment that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and reject him, something profound happened. Their heart got polluted with the nature of the enemy, with the nature of the accuser, the nature of the one who put them up to it. Jesus said it this way, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, his nature ended up getting inside of us. That nature that wants us to go our own way, do our own thing, make our own choices, push God aside, live independently of Him, that is inside of us. And so even though we might want to choose life, might want to choose to love God, to obey His voice and hold fast to Him, we are incapable of doing it. And so God knows this. And in the middle of the chapter, in fact, towards the beginning of chapter 30, in verse 6 It's like God walks through this process and says, you know, I've been faithful to you, and so you can trust me, keep the words of the covenant. Oh, by the way, if you don't, here's the consequences. Oh, by the way, you won't be able to, so when you repent and ask me to forgive you, I'll be merciful to you. And then chapter 30, verse 6 comes along, and God says, and then I will circumcise your heart so that you are able to love the Lord your God and obey his voice. Now, I don't know about you, but circumcising anything sounds painful. And uh, my heart being circumcised sounds painful. It is. It's a difficult process. (laughs) But here's what happens. When God... When, we, when you and I choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to him, God does something. He reaches into your heart and he gives you a new one. He begins to cut away the flesh, the hardness, the rebellion in your heart. And he begins to place in you desires that you never had before desires to obey God, desires to listen to his voice, desires to love him and follow him, and then he does something else. He places his spirit on the inside of you as well. And his spirit becomes the reason why you and I can choose life, because that's the good news. You can't choose life, that's the bad news. But you, filled with the spirit of God, can choose life. And that's what God wants for you and I. How do we choose life? Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. It's like a parallel passage to Deuteronomy 30. Listen to it. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will die you will live. There you go. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The last word is follow. If you're going to choose life, you need to choose to follow the Holy Spirit fully. The Holy Spirit makes choosing life possible. He gives us the desire and the power to break free from the pull of the sinful nature. You see, even as Christians, and all of us have experienced this, and maybe it's confused you, you've got a new heart that's been circumcised, that this flesh has been cut away from so that you can choose and want to choose to follow God, but there's like this pull that keeps trying to pull you back to your own ways, to selfish living. Anybody besides me experienced that before? It's it's a safe place to acknowledge this. Okay, It's like 20 of you. I tried really hard to make it a safe place, but it's okay. I know that you know it's true. So there's still this pull. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit, as we surrender to him and follow his lead, he is able to give us the grace we need to break free from the pull of that nature of sin that still tries to get its claws inside of us. He gives us the ability to choose life, not just to choose Jesus, the doorway into life, but to choose to follow God Each moment of each day. You know, Jesus is our example of this. He chose to fully surrender his life to the Father. He chose to live and then die and then rise again from the dead. Why? Because his Father asked him to do it. Yes, he loved you and me, but that wasn't the primary reason Jesus did it. If you read the New Testament, you'll find out that it was an act of obedience to his father. That's why he did it. And all the way along, he trusted that even choosing to do that would result in something that was for his best. It didn't make sense, but he laid his life down. And what did God do for him? He gave him the name that is above Every other name. He exalted him to the right, his own right hand. And now he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he is our example of what it looks like to choose life. What does it look like to choose life? It looks like living like Jesus. Loving God. Obeying everything he says. And holding fast to him. From now until the day we see him face to face. That's what choosing life looks like. And you and I, we're going to do that imperfectly. And I'm so grateful that my salvation is not based on how perfectly I do that. It's not. It's based on my faith in a perfect Savior. That's the basis of my salvation. But because I love that perfect Savior, because that perfect Savior saved me, I want to follow Him. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. What does that mean? It means living like He did. How did He live? He lived loving His Father. He lived obeying His voice. He lived clinging to Him because He was His life and length of days. And to be a disciple of Jesus simply means we have the same perspective and we aim to do the same thing. And we can do it because we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. We are not left to our own willpower and our own strength. We have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. That's good news, isn't it? The last thing I want to mention to you is this. In the passage, it tells us that God wants us to choose life today. Maybe you chose life yesterday. That's that's great. Maybe you haven't yet, but you're thinking, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll choose life. This choice is too important to put off to tomorrow or to someday. The choice to choose life. Why, why would we delay choosing life if we really believe that God loves us and can be trusted? The only reason we wouldn't is because we haven't yet come to that conclusion. And if you're not, yeah, they there yet. <laughs> Look at the gospel. Look at what Jesus did for you. Maybe you haven't yet chosen Jesus. That would be the best way to begin choosing life today, to surrender your life to him. Or maybe there's something God has been talking to you about, something that God has been putting his finger on and it's not making sense to you and you're fighting and you're struggling with the idea of trusting God. I trust that today... You've had a glimpse into the heart of God. I encourage you. He can be trusted. You are safe to follow him wherever he leads you. Because he loves you and wants what's best for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for us. You chose death so that we could have life. And we thank you for that today. I pray for everyone in this room that they would have a deeper understanding of your love for them and that each of us, day by day, moment by moment, would surrender ourselves to you, learning to love you with all of our heart, trust you completely, and follow you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.